listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Great to be with you today. My name's Mark, if we haven't met. And it is Palm Sunday. So let's dive right into the Gospel of John and read the story of Palm Sunday. We are turning to chapter 12, John chapter 12, and we're going to be beginning beginning at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, these disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is an extraordinary scene. I remember seeing a movie adaptation of the Bible when I was young and it had the actor as Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And by the side of the road, there was sort of like, you know, a sort of very thin line of spread out sort of actors, maybe a hundred along this sort of long stretch of the road, you know, yelling out, Hosanna, sort of like like extras who weren't being paid much. But in reality, this scene would have just been an incredible sight. Josephus, who wrote about sort of 30 years or 50 years after that, around a few decades after this happened, talked about this particular festival when upwards of he estimated two and a half million people would come to Jerusalem for this festival. And this was a moment when the political atmosphere was absolutely feverish. The palm branches that the people are waving are not just a nice garden accessory. This isn't just some, you know, indoor plants that they've brought out to just, you know, look good. This is a moment where those palms actually have a symbolic meaning. In the period between the Old and the New Testaments, there was a rebellion by this group called the Maccabeans. And the palm was their symbol. This group had wrested independence for Israel from a foreign occupying force. And so this palm was like a national flag. They put it on their independent state's coins. So this was like people waving the Australian flag or the Union Jack or the stars and stripes as Jesus entered into this passionate electric nationalist rally. People wanted to align Jesus with their hopes for the country. They wanted to see Jesus be the king that they wanted to deliver their political dreams. But Bruce Milne says in his commentary on the book of John, as Israel's king, he will not subscribe to their narrow nationalism. The sign of entry to the people of God will give place to faith embodied in those from every nation who express personal trust in this strange king 
crowned upon the cross of sacrifice. Now, central to this, what Milne is saying is that it is about faith. It's not about a nationalist agenda. Jesus is doing something new here. There's a kingdom breaking out, but it's not the kingdom they expect. It's actually the kingdom of God. And central to this kingdom is a people defined by faith. Now, when we hear the word faith, because we're framed and shaped by our secular society, we think of faith as people who hold true to a supernatural belief in a world where people don't believe in supernatural things, where they see themselves guided by rationalistic science. But in this story, the people are willing to believe in supernatural things. Part of the reason they've come out to meet Jesus, the scriptures tell us here, is because they know that Lazarus has been raised from the dead by Jesus. So they believe in the supernatural event. They don't have a problem with that. But what they want to do is they want to take that supernatural event and they want to wrap that around their personal dreams and agendas of Jesus being this wonderful new king to make Israel great again. They were energized by the raising of Lazarus. They wanted their agenda fulfilled. But what Jesus was doing, this was not about Jesus aligning his actions from here forward with the people's wants. This was Jesus asking people through faith to align themselves to his new order in the world, the kingdom of God. This was a question of Jesus building a new kind of kingdom based around faith. Now we can see this story developing previous to this in the Gospels. And I just want to go back to the start of Jesus' ministry where we see the origins of this story around faith playing out. If we go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, we find this really interesting story where Jesus returns to his hometown. So I'm going to read that now. Mark 6 verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. This is Jesus going back to like, if you like, his home church to preach. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Jesus is preaching in a way that's amazing them. He's something about him. They describe it, the language is these things. He's doing miracles. But then in verse 3, they say this. Isn't this the carpenter's Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And his sisters with us here, and they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. And this is the really fascinating verse, verse 5. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus' hometown, if you thought about this logically, you would expect that's where he's most backed. People love a hometown boy, a local hero. But actually Jesus in his hometown encounters not a kingdom of faith, but actually a faith deficient environment. Why? What contributed to this? 
Well, one, there's an over-familiarity. They ask, isn't that this carpenter bloke who lives down the street? Isn't that like Mary and Joe's son? As Jesus says, the prophet is without honour in his own town. Sometimes over-familiarity can blind us to what God wants to do amongst us. We get into habits, we get into patterns, and we're so stuck in them that we don't expect God's going to change things. There's also this like everyday skepticism that this community has. I love the little line they have. Where did he get these things? Jesus is doing this amazing stuff and they just refer to it as these things. There's like this skepticism. They see the stuff happening, but it comes to this framework of skepticism that these people have. But I think most importantly, the miracles can't happen there. This is a faith deficient environment because they take a spirit of offense. And sometimes in a community, sometimes in a synagogue as described here, sometimes in a church, there can be a spirit of offense that sets in as a kind of spiritual stronghold that actually works against God wanting to move in a community. So when things are over familiar, when there's just that everyday sort of part of the water skepticism, when there's this sense of a spirit of offense where people are not teachable and their hearts are not soft, but easily reactive, this is like a wet blanket and God being able to move in an area, to move with power, to engage in the miraculous. And so a faith deficient area is defined where people look at things, look at God's agenda, look at the world through earthly lenses. This is a matter of perspective. A deficiency of faith is often defined by self, a self-centeredness rather than a God-centered way of looking at what's going on. Faith deficiency is often defined by fear. Instead of seeing the possibility of God in a situation, what the kingdom of God can achieve on earth, we look at things through the worst case scenario. We look at them through fear, worry, anxiety takes over and erodes and has a corrosive effect upon the building of faith. And so ultimately, what a faith deficient area or environment is, ultimately is a blockage to the kingdom of God breaking out. But the good news is, as Luke chapter 17, verse 5 says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If we are in a faith deficient environment, if you personally are in a place of faith deficiency, if your church, wherever you are, is part of a faith deficient environment, we can ask the Lord to increase our Faith. What is faith? Well, faith, firstly, is trusting in God's goodness. Believing above everything that God has our best at heart, that he loves us, that he has designs for our life, and that we can trust him in his plans even when we don't understand them. Faith is choosing the opposite of fear. Jesus continually in the Gospels is telling people, do not be afraid. If we trace the story back to the beginning of Scripture, when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, engage with the serpent, when sin enters the world, it says almost immediately that they were afraid. 
Fear is linked to our autonomy and trying to live a life without God. We do not have the power to control the world. And when we try and set out for ourselves, we instinctively feel that. Often anxiety and fear are red lights on the dashboard that something is wrong. And so Jesus inviting people into his way of faith says, do not be afraid. Faith is living with heavenly lenses, asking for heaven on earth, living according to God's ways here and now. Now, directly after the story of Jesus going to his own hometown and finding this faith deficiency amongst the people who should be backing him, who should be getting around him, we see this other story, which in a sense turns that first story around. Mark chapter 7, verse 6 says this. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He leaves his village and goes teaching, goes on the road, village to village, calling the 12, that's the disciples, to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, In your belts, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. So set off with very few resources. This is not preparing and you setting up and you controlling things. This is setting off with a sense of adventure and risk. Verse 10, when you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if in any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Verse 12, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. What's really interesting here is that what Jesus is doing is Jesus realizes at this time in Israel that part of his ministry is that he must build a culture of faith. His hometown has shown him what the opposite of a culture of faith, a culture of offense, a culture of fear, a culture of taking things for granted, a culture of going through the motions. Yes, they're doing religious stuff. They're going to the synagogue. They're turning up at their religious community every week, but it's defined by a bunch of stuff which is actually stopping the kingdom of God from breaking out. Well, how does Jesus build faith? He calls the disciples to him. Calling them to him is a reminder that we are called to God, defined by him, not by the culture around us. Jesus is doing ministry, is changing the world by building an alternate culture here of faith. Rob Reimer says this in his book, Spiritual Authority. Jesus does not, doesn't want us to develop Faith, so our life is less anxious. Jesus wants us to grow in faith so we can develop authority and expand his kingdom so people will know he is king. He wants to demonstrate his kingship through you and me. Now, this is really key. 
Jesus doesn't want us to develop our faith so our life is less anxious. If you are anxious, this does not mean you need to stay in your anxiety. What this is saying, though, is that the reason we follow Jesus is not to eradicate bad stuff in our life, to improve our life a little bit. The reason we follow Jesus is Jesus has a plan to build faith in us, to expand our vision of the world, to align our wills with his will, and for us to be conduits of heaven on earth, God reflectors in the world. And this is essential to grasp on this Palm Sunday. Because maybe we're not here wanting to attune Jesus to our nationalist agendas. Maybe we haven't got our flags or our, our, our palms out there saying, Jesus, join our political cause. But much of contemporary Christianity does that in a far more subtle way, where we want Jesus to take the bad stuff away. But that's all we want him for. We want him as some kind of heavenly cleaner to come in and clean house for us to improve our lives. Or we want Jesus to expand our personal life goals. This is completely different to what Jesus' mission is for us. Now, a lot of that stuff is byproducts. Jesus promises the peace that transcends all understanding. But that's a byproduct when we step into the expansion of faith that God wants to invite us into. So Jesus sends out the disciples on the road because you're not going to learn faith just through reading a book. You're not going to learn faith through going to some classes. Faith is learned through experience and stepping forward. It's learned in the school of hard knocks, in the college of real life. It's actually learned on the road as we take risks for God. Jesus sends out the disciples where they have nothing to rely on except God's provision. This is similar to what happened to the people of God when they're in the wilderness in between Egypt and the promised land, and God was shaping and forming and training them by feeding them manna, where they had to be reliant upon him for their daily bread. So Jesus is building a culture of faith. And this is not something that's just done individually. A culture is when there is more than one person. You can't have a culture by yourself on a desert island. So we build a culture of faith. It's a communal project, God's group project into which we're invited into. Acts chapter 16 verse 5 says this, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This is saying that to improve a church is not about a church having better programs or being more slick or being you know, more flash in how it does everything, or being super efficient and well run. Those things aren't bad in themselves. But ultimately what grows a church is when a culture of faith is developing amongst those people as they say yes to God and align themselves with Him. Building faith is active. It's learnt on the road. But ultimately, the purpose that Jesus wants to build faith amongst these people is that it releases God's purpose in the world, in us first, and then an overflow to those around us. Whatever we're doing, studying our relationships, our family, it's an overflow. As our faith is expanded, it's inspiring. Other people see that. It causes a reaction. Easy, you've got to choose to go along with it, react against it. It's something which God uses to change the world. It's his mission through us. And so this Palm Sunday, often we can get into this 
rote routine where we remember the palms. And the palms are a great thing that the church does at this time. But we can get to this story and think we've heard it before and act in the ways that we've heard it before. But I want to ask the question, what if at this moment, as in many ways, how we used to being doing church is actually disrupted? What if this moment of disruption where in a sense we've had to go on the road again, we've had to actually do faith in the last 12 months without the usual resources that we've had, both individually and corporately? What if actually at this moment, God wants to build our faith? We're in a season of rebuilding, reestablishing, replanting, repotting. And I believe one of the things that God wants to do at this time is to actually build faith amongst us. To say no to fear, yes to faith. To put down our agendas, our palms, our way we want to hijack the mission of Jesus. To turn him into the king of our projects and actually say yes to his kingdom that's breaking out in the world. And for us here at Red Church, what would it look like if one of the great projects that we engage with between now and Palm Sunday next year is the building of faith, the encouraging of each other, the spurring of each other on? What are the risks that God is asking you to take at this time? What are the ways in which you realize that you are resource poor, but actually can be dependent upon your heavenly Father? What if we actually decided together to not be a faith-deficient environment characterized by this just low-grade, low-level skepticism, this spirit of offense? Because there's a lot coming back from coronavirus if you want to get offended about church about. What if at this moment we said yes to God and become the community of faith that he has called us to be and through us his kingdom continues to break out in the world. What I would love to do now is pray for that for you. We can ask for faith. So let's pray now. And if you feel comfortable, wherever you are, whether you're watching this alone with others, if you feel comfortable, I'd love to invite your hand to, I reach out your hands in a posture of receiving. And let's pray to the Holy Spirit who empowers us. Holy Spirit, We ask at this moment for you to give us faith. We ask as the apostles did, increase our faith. Pour heaven out upon us so we can be the embassy, the regents of your kingdom in the world. God, we say no to fear. We say no to worry. We say yes to you. We know that it's human to fear. And Father, we at this moment want to place before you anything that we may be worrying about at this time, concerned about. As we walk through this life on the road with you, we pray that we can reframe instances of difficulty, of challenge, actually as opportunities to learn faith. May you change what we're seeing and facing at this point in time and actually see that in the midst of that, there is a key to be unlocked when we turn to you and to be conduits of your will into that situation. I pray for anyone who is lacking in any way, socially, economically, 
relationally, maybe a job, maybe a conflict. Into those spaces and places, we pray, Father, that our dependency and trust may be put in you. For those who struggle to trust because of past hurt, maybe from others, maybe even from churches, we just pray that our eyes may be set upon you, our heavenly Father, who is perfection and above all the things of earth. May you reset our understanding of you, that we understand you as the Father of love. Build a culture of faith amongst us, we ask. In your name, Jesus. Give us a sense of expectation, we ask, Father. Empower us to be conduits of faith, we ask, Holy Spirit. Amen.